Welcome to Crosspoint. I'm glad you're here. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, before we begin, in the seat in front of you, you'll find a, a chat card. Now, what I'm hoping we'll do with this is I want to know how you are applying God's Word each week. You know, we're, I, I'm not just here to, to tell you a few stories and have you go walk away from this place as, as though you haven't heard anything from God. We actually believe here at Crosspoint, we believe you're about to hear from God. And even though I'm the one preaching, it's, it's not me preaching. Does that make any sense? We believe you're about to hear from God. And so what we'd like you to do is we, at the end of the message today, I'm going to ask you to make out a SMART goal. That means specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. That means from what you hear from God, apply it to your marriage. Apply it to your workplace. Apply it to school or whatever you find yourself a part of. Apply it today. Apply it this week. And I would love to hear how you're applying it. I I was talking to somebody yesterday, and it was so encouraging to hear them say, yeah, you know, so I, I put that into practice. And instead of doing like the our daily bread from last week, I got into God's word and I just opened up the Bible and read and tried to hear from God. I'm not saying our daily bread is bad. I hope you understand. But the idea from last week, we were talking about the measure of maturity. You remember some of you that were here last week? The measure of maturity. And, and one of those things is being able to hear from God. So for me, it was just two days ago. My wife and my three kids and I were packed into our tiny little Prius, Toyota Prius, because I'm a macho man, I drive a tiny little car, right? And some of you are shaking your heads like, no man, there's no way you could be macho and driving a Prius. Yeah, uh, amen, okay, there you go. But when ga- gas prices go up, it doesn't feel so bad, okay? So we were in this tiny little car, and we were on our way to uh, their play. They did this amazing play that they were a part of through their school. And as we were driving, we were in this lane, and there was a car next to us, and we were just driving, minding our own business. And the car just decides he doesn't want to see us or doesn't see us or the sun was in the way, and he just kind of, boom, crashed into us. And uh, it was not a big deal. It was just fender and bumper damage. But uh, we pulled over to the side, and uh, the guy actually pulled over this time. Last time, the person just ran away, and we never found him. Um, But this happens sometimes, right? So I get out of my car, probably the same way a lot of you would, about to give this guy a piece of my mind. Because my, my kids are in the car. All you have to do is, is look, really, drivers out there, right? And I was about to just light into this guy. And then there was a, a little voice inside me that said, what's most important right now? And so as I closed my door, I took a deep breath, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, give me the grace to handle this well. Give me the grace to not freak out. Give me the grace to somehow show love in this. And, uh, you know, that's, that's because of what we're going through. 
you guys. That's because of 1 John, that God was able to give me that passage. He was able to remind me that if this doesn't translate into how you handle a traffic accident, then is it even real at all? If what we're doing right here, right now, if that doesn't translate into your marriage, into your relationships, into your real life, then, then what are we even doing here? You see, what's most important is not what happens between 10.15 and 11.30 on Sunday mornings. You know what's most important? It's what happens, everything in between. Amen? The reason why Crosspoint is going to grow the reason why Crosspoint is going to reach people and we're going to see baptisms and we're going to see disciples make other disciples is because of you. It's because of the people. The best thing about Crosspoint is you. The Spirit of God in you. So I'd like you to take a moment. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Can we do that? Bow our heads, close our eyes. Just take a deep breath. I don't know what you're going through, what you've been through, even just getting here this morning. Just take a deep breath, and in the quietness of your heart, would you simply just say, Lord, I want to hear from you. If there's anything in your heart, if there's anything in your life that you just need to give to the Lord, just take this moment and do it. Let there be nothing between you and your Savior. Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill us, that you would speak to us, Lord. Speak through me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Lord, I'm here preaching, but I'm not preaching. This message is, is by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Lord, so I pray that I would just disappear and that you would be visible. I pray that my words would just fall to nothing, but your word would remain powerfully, Lord. You are the one speaking, and in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so this is just the continuation of last week. Does anybody have your notes from last week? Anybody? You guys are all stars, the ones, the, the five of you that have that, okay? Good job. Now, if you don't have the notes from last week, I'm going to just race through what we covered last week, and, and we'll finish it up today. Nod your head if you're with me. Yeah? Okay. And this is not the library. You're allowed to, like, you know, answer back. And, you know, sometimes it's a rhetorical question. Sometimes I'm really asking for an answer. I'll, you can use your own judgment to determine which one of those that is. But we're talking about First John. This message uh, series, we're, we're calling it Beloved. Because in 1 John, he is writing to the church, and he's writing to people that are multiple different levels of maturity, okay? And these people that John is writing to, he's calling beloved over and over again. He calls them little children. He uses family terms to relate to these people because that's how he really sees these people that he's working with. And we talked a couple weeks ago, we talked about fellowship and how that's not some cheesy after-church little dinner that you have together. Fellowship is forged in the fire. Fellowship is something shared in common. Fellowship is blood, sweat, and tears together. Fellowship is what they had in the early church. Fellowship is what we are supposed to have with God and with each other. So he's writing for two primary reasons. He writes, number one, 
and if this is the first thing, if you're making a new one over again, the first thing there, the reason he's writing is to strengthen their faith. He's writing to strengthen their faith. There's false teaching going around. There's, there's people saying, no, you're not a believer unless you do this. You're not really saved unless you do this. There's also teaching about how Jesus didn't actually come in human form. It's called Gnosticism, but this is a, a, a preliminary version of this. This is the early sources of Gnosticism right here that he's writing to combat. That Jesus came in flesh and blood, and we saw him, we touched him. And he's writing to bolster their faith, and you'll see this over and over again in this, in this book. So that you can know. How can you know that you're saved? How can you know that you belong to God? He's writing to, to bolster and strengthen their faith, and he's also writing to deepen their relationships. Fellowship, community, love is something that we see over and over again. So write that second one down, to deepen their relationships. Then the, the next thing is a mature believer. This is the first thing we see in this, in the first few verses. A mature believer deals with sin. All right, so chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 is what we covered last week. And, and it starts out with, with saying, you shouldn't sin. But if you do sin, you have somebody that, that's got your back. And the Bible calls them the paraclete. Everybody say that with me. Paraclete. Let's, we could do better. One, two, three. Paraclete. He calls them a paraclete. And what's interesting is that's the same word that's used to talk about the Holy Spirit. That Jesus says, when I go, it's better for you that I go because my Father will send you the paraclete. So here's Jesus being referred to as a paraclete. And the Holy Spirit is referred to as a paraclete. And that really just simply means someone who comes to another's aid. It can mean advocate. It can mean helper. It could mean someone who empowers you. Of the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, two out of three are referred to as our paraclete. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that's a big deal. So we have somebody, we've sinned, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, but a mature believer deals with sin in that we give it to Jesus. The blood of Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment that you and I deserved. On the cross, our sin was nailed through his hands to the cross. We bear it no more because of Jesus, because of his perfect sacrifice for us. And he died on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. So that whoever believes in Jesus will never perish. He took your punishment. If you just believe in him and follow him, he's your punishment bearer and he gives you his place of authority, of his inheritance, his riches in Christ. His riches in Christ. He is Christ. His riches in God as an heir of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how you deal with sin. So a mature believer knows how to deal with sin. Nod your head if you're with me. The next thing is a mature believer obeys continuously out of love. For a mature believer, obedience is not something you do, oh yeah, I obey God. Well, okay, if you're not obeying today, are you obeying at all? Are you, are you hearing and obeying God today when you get in an accident are you are you obeying are you living in darkness or are you actually obeying the facts don't lie 
John, John kind of presents people with the facts. He says, okay, if you're living in the light, you're good. If you're living in the darkness and you think you're in the light, that's not so good. The facts don't lie. How you treat your wife shows whether or not you believe this. Whoa, that just like punched me in the face just now. How you treat the people around you shows whether or not this is for real in your life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So a mature believer obeys continuously and out of love. And he says, this is how you can know for sure. Hmm. Have you ever had doubt? Have you ever doubted whether or not you believe, whether or not you belong to God? Some of you maybe should doubt because you, you haven't evaluated this in years and years and years. But what I'm saying is, how can you know for sure, John says in these verses, if you are obeying God out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of just checking it off or just out of religious obedience, but out of a heart of love. That's how you know. That's one of the ways you know. And if you disagree with me, just read those verses. And it, it'll say, this is how you know. The people that belong to God live their lives as Jesus did. It's in there. Now, that's the second thing. Now let's get to the third one. A mature believer is marked by love. Number three. And we're going to read these verses here. Verses, uh, verses 7 through 11. Now, this is an interesting passage. Follow along with me. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment, for it is an old one that you've always had, right from the beginning. This commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. This commandment is true in Christ and is true among you, because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. And then he gets really practical. He starts out, he says, you know, love one another. Dear children, he's writing to deepen their community, right? And he says, love one another. What did Jesus say in, in John chapter 13? You remember the upper room discourse? The night he was betrayed, he had this, this wonderful time in John 12, 13 through 17. We see Jesus spend this amazing time with his, with his disciples the night he was betrayed. And one of the things he says in John 13, 35 is, By this will everyone know that you are my followers by your love for one another. And so he says, I'm writing this, this new commandment to you. It's not new. It's from the beginning, but I'm, it's new again to you. And this commandment to love one another is one that needs to be refreshed and renewed in us each and every day. We need to remember, oh, I, I need to love other people. And so he's saying it's not a new one, but this is, this is old and do it again. Okay, so here he goes. If anyone says, in verse 9, if anyone says I'm living in the light but hates a Christian brother, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves other believers, other brothers, other sisters is living in the light and does not cause anyone to stumble. But anyone who hates a Christian brother or sister is living and walking in darkness. Such a person is lost, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting here and you're like, 
Well, I'm good. I don't really hate anybody. Yeah? Yeah? That word hate there is a Greek word, Greek word miseo. And you know what it means? It actually means to hate somebody. That was kind of a joke. It totally, you know, didn't, didn't land. My bad. I'll do better. Miseo is a Greek word that, that really just means malicious and unjustifiable feelings toward another person. Now, it means more than just hate. Oh, I hate that guy. Now, this, this has to do with feelings. Have you ever dealt or had, to, had bitterness or resentment against another person in your life? It might be that you're here this morning, and this is the whole reason God brought you here just for this right now. It could be against your son, your daughter, your, your wife, your husband, your ex, whatever. But it, it could be that whenever you see them, whoever that is, whenever you talk about them, whenever you're going to be with them, you get these feelings of anxiety, these feelings of anger, these feelings of pain, these feelings of grief. And you, you have physical feelings about this person. That's what this, this word is saying, miseo. Unjustifiable feelings towards another person. Malicious or unjustifiable. Now, I, I asked my, my wife for permission to, to talk about this. She is an amazing, amazing woman of God. She's phenomenal. But for several years in our marriage... She went through, you know, there were some people that harmed her, not physically, but emotionally. And she tried to forgive for over a decade. And she tried, and she prayed, and she tried, and she prayed. But every time she was going to be with one of those people, she would get these, these feelings welling up. Every time we talked about these people, it would just change the whole atmosphere of her day or her night. Because they'd caused such pain. And she had prayed, God, help me to forgive them. God, help me to forgive them. But those feelings were still there. And then finally there was a pastor that we prayed with before we went to India. And we, we, we told him, here, this is something we've been dealing with. And in prayer, he, he just simply said to us, what does Jesus say? Bless those that curse you. Matthew 5. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he just looked at Nicole and he said, are you praying blessings over those people? Are you praying blessings over them? And Nicole said, no, I, it's never crossed my mind. But there it is, plain as day in Matthew 5, is the teachings of Jesus. And so, you know what she did? That day, she started praying blessings over these people. You know, being a pastor's wife is tough. You're judged all the time. And so here she is, and she's praying blessings over these people within weeks 
within a week or two, her whole heart had been completely transformed and she was free from those feelings. This is what God wants to do. And it might be that you came here just this morning to hear this and to do this. It could be a parent, it could be any other relationship, but if you're having those feelings, Maseo-type feelings of, of hatred, that's not God's plan for you. That's not God's desire for you. In fact, he says, how can you actually say that you love God if you have these feelings about other believers? So take care of this. So he says to love one another. So a mature believer is marked by love. How do you know if you hate somebody? Those feelings. That's how you know. Nobody's going to outright say, oh, I hate that person. But they could say, I just don't like them. Maseo is the word we're looking at here. Unjustifiable, malicious feelings towards another person. How do you know if you love somebody? What is love? What is love? All of you are thinking, baby, don't hurt me. No, you shouldn't think that. It's a song, okay? It's lame. Another dumb joke. I'm sorry. What is love? You know, I've spent a ton of time and effort pouring over and reflecting what is love. I love my daughters. I love my son. I love my wife. But I also love burritos. <laughs> How can the same word apply to all of those things? Right? I love movies and I love Jesus. How can that apply? Those words mean so much different things in our culture. We use love for all these different things. But love, a, a, a true definition, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there. This is the Ben Sprague authorized definition of love. Desire, commitment, and sacrifice. Say that with me. Desire, commitment, and sacrifice. Biblical, true love has those three components. Desire, commitment, and sacrifice. All three of those things. There's that desire where you want to be with that person. There's Romantic desire, of course, which Hollywood would tell us is all that love is, is desire. But in a friendship, you also have desire. I want to I hang out with this person. I want to be around this person. Desire. God desires us. He's drawing us. He's calling us. He wants to bring us closer to him. That's why Jesus came to us. God came for us. There's also commitment. There's this agape Love that says there's nothing you could do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Is that crazy? He loves you. And it's not based on your behavior. He loves you. There's a commitment that he is predisposed to love you. And that's how we should be to one another. And then there's sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate picture of sacrifice. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. The ultimate sacrifice, Jesus left heaven. The second person of the Trinity became a human. He became one of us. He lived in our pit for you and for me. 
He became a servant for you and for me. He was born in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a barn for you and for me. This is a big deal. Sacrifice. So I'm teaching my kids. Ellie, she's 13 now. I said, if any, any guy ever comes along and says, I love you, this is your filter. Desire, commitment, and sacrifice. Any single people out there? If somebody says, I love you, you need to say, okay, is it just desire? Because, uh, you know, it could be you desire me. But is there any commitment there? And is there any sacrifice? That's what love is. And that's what God has done for us. And that's what we must do for each other. That's what love is. And he says, love one another. And we love each other. Why? Because God loves us. Later on in the, in the chapter, in the, in, the, in the book, we'll see that we love because he loved us. All right? So, Ernie, would you stand up really quick? Would you stand? And uh, Richie, would you just stand, buddy? I'm not going to make you do anything. You just stand up. But let's imagine this is the cross right here. And these two guys are sort of far away. You see that? Nod your head if you're with me. Yes, I see that they're sort of far away. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Here's the cross. Imagine a big cross here. Okay? We don't really have one. A cross. There's a cross on the light, I think. But... Anyhow, these guys are far away, but if you're moving towards Christ, if you're moving towards the cross, what's going to happen to them? They're going to get closer and closer together. Would you guys be seated? That's what he's talking about. When we grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer together. And even though we might disagree, even though we might have uh, hard times or difficulties that happen from time to time, we forgive because we've been forgiven. And we love because we've been loved. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we will be to each other. So, if we're not close to each other, what does that mean? We're not close to Jesus. Do you understand that's his point? When we're close to Jesus, we're close to believers. Because what brings us together is far more important than what might separate us. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so a mature believer is marked by love. We just had Valentine's Day. I'm going to pick on my wife again here. But, you know, I, I, I bought her roses on Valentine's Day. I didn't do it because I was going to be talking about this. I had no idea I was going to do this. But I, I bought her roses on Valentine's Day. And I set them up in a little vase. And... Uh, she came home, and she saw the roses, and she said, oh, that was so sweet of you. Thank you for doing that. Gave me a big hug. And I said, well, what if I had said this? It's Valentine's Day. It's my duty to get you roses. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Good idea, bad idea. Would that cheapen everything that I just did? Yes. Absolutely. But it, what, if, what if I were to answer her and, and say, Nicole, I just couldn't not get you roses. I just had to. I, I had to acknowledge somehow 
of the beauty that you are to me and the beauty that you bring to our life and how much I love you. And I couldn't not do it because I love you so much. Is that a better answer? Yeah? Is that okay? I'm sure, you know, some of you guys might be like, you know, Romeos and have really good answers, but, but that's maybe the best I could do. But here's the point. With God, love is why we obey. Love is why we obey. Some of us, our, our love for God is, is really just kind of commitment. You're still going through the motions. You're still plugging away just out of your commitment. But it's been a long time since you've desired God. Maybe some of you, you want more of God, but there's no sacrifice. Right now there are people that are taking care of kids right now so that we could be here. Yesterday at Upward, you know, I, there were three guys that cleaned up the whole thing. And they did it in 20 minutes. But, I, I mean, many hands make light work. There's a lot of ways. Youth group. Children's ministry. Awana. There's so many ways you could sacrifice. So if you want to be closer to God, but you're not willing to sacrifice, guess what? It's, it's just not going to work. You understand? And if you, you want God and you do sacrifice, but there's no commitment, there's no faithfulness. When you hit hard times, you're not willing to, to trust God and go through those rough times. Guess what? That's not going to work either. I know some believers that are like this. They just, they, they want God, they want to serve God, and they sacrifice, and then all of a sudden they just, something gets discouraging, and they just fall away. This is how God has loved us, and this is how we should love God. And when we love God like this, it binds us together. This is what he's talking about. Let's, let's read the next few verses here. Verse 12, I am writing to you, my children, because your sins have been forgiven for Christ's sake. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Christ, the one who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you who are young men because you have won your battle with Satan. I have written to you, children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know Christ, the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you who are young men because you are strong with God's word and have it living in your hearts and you have won your battle with Satan. Can I make a confession? I've always read these verses and really struggled what, what does this mean? Why is this in here? It's weird language, isn't it? It's kind of like, what, I, I've written to you guys because of this, and I've written to you fathers because of this, and I've written to you young men because of this. And, and then he repeats himself, but he doesn't say the exact same thing. He slightly varies what he says to them. And I'm, I'm just shaking my head. I've read a lot of commentaries about this, and for over a decade I've struggled with what does this mean? What is this saying? And I'm, I'm not proposing that what I'm about to say to you is, is perfect and 
and exactly like this is it. But here's my take on it. Is that okay? He's writing to people of various levels of maturity. There are some people who are little children and their sins have been forgiven. There's some people who are fathers and, and if, we, if we take some liberties with that, we could say, you know, parents. You know, because I don't think he's only talking about guys in this. He's not only writing to guys in this, but he's writing to parents. Or, or you could even take it a step farther. Some translations translate it mature. Those of you who are mature, because you've known the Father. What makes you mature? That word know, do you know what that word know actually means? It's the word gnosko in Greek, which is one of my favorite words in the world. And it means not just a factual knowledge. Like I can tell you all kinds of facts about India, 1.2 billion people living there, 600 million people living in northern India. I could tell you what percentages of each state are Muslim and Hindu and Christian. I could tell you facts. That's not gnosko. Gnosko is stepping off the plane and there's India. Riding in the rickshaw, smelling the smells, looking into somebody's eyes. That's gnosko. It's an experiential knowledge. You can know all you want to about Stephen Curry. But you're never going to know him like his, his kids know him. And that's, that's what he's talking about. You who are mature, you know, you know God. You've experienced him. You've walked through life with him. And there are many examples in scripture of this. But that's what he's talking about. You have known the Father. And then he says, you young men. And to me, um, this, is, this is young people in, in, in a maturity sense. The, the idea in this is, is sort of like, I'm thinking Navy SEALs, okay? These are specialized frontline sort of people. This is, he's writing to you young men, you young people. Because you have vigor, you have enthusiasm, and you are willing to charge hell with a squirt gun. Have you ever been there? You want to go back? I kind of would like to go back to that enthusiasm. So how do you know? You know, you might be sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I, I've had my sins forgiven, but it's been, I haven't really grown at all. Take the next step. How do you know if you're a mature believer? Well, I think one of the interesting things is he says fathers. Where, where is maturity reached? You know, he says gnosko, that experiential knowledge. But I also think it has to do with reproduction. Making disciples. When he's talking to these fathers, he's talking to seasoned disciple makers. Who have made Many disciples. Is that you? You can't know God and not make disciples. You can't follow Jesus and not make disciples. 
And then he writes to the young, the young people. Now here's the last, last couple things here. A mature church. Now remember, he's speaking to a group of people. So I took some variances. I talked about a believer for the first few. And this is about a church. A mature church is multi-generational. Write that down. A mature church is multi-generational. This is what he's saying. He's writing to a church and he's saying this is what a church should look like. There should be new believers here at Crosspoint. There should be seasoned disciple makers who have made many disciples here at Crosspoint. And there should be people who are young or young at heart who have that desire and that eagerness and that willingness to charge hell with a squirt gun. Because you don't even need the squirt gun. You've got the spirit of the living God. And I love how he ends that in verse 14, talking about the young people. And he says, I've written to you who are young because you are strong with God's word living in your heart. That word is abides in your heart. God's word is, is living inside and it's speaking constantly. There's this idea of it's continually happening. And you have won your battle with Satan. We're about to talk next week about the battle with the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the fight that we all face on a daily basis. But did you know your battle with Satan is finished? It's over. You've won. Did you know that? Nod your head if you understand, or you can even say amen. Your battle with Satan is over. It's done. You don't have to fight him anymore. It's It's gone. The battle we now face as believers is not with Satan. It's, it's with the things that are left over, the residual, the residual effects of sin. And I know Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness. There's still spiritual warfare. That's, I'm not saying that's not true. But what I'm saying is you're redeemed. It's over. Your accuser has been silenced because of Jesus. That's, that's so exciting to me. A mature church is multi-generational. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more like this we will become as a church. I, last Saturday was so cool to me. It's a beautiful picture of a church. Awana had their, they're having their Grand Prix in a few weeks. And they had this thing called Pit Day. Which sounds kind of like, well, that's Pit pit day what do you you know that could go a lot of, mean a lot of different things but what it has to do is they have these little cars and they're made of wood and they, they come they're just wooden blocks but these little kids they buy these blocks for like five dollars and then they turn them into a car and the coolest thing about pit day is we had little tiny children and really really old men not going to name any names. And people in between. And they were working together, rubbing shoulders. And that's what the church is. A, a multi-generational church. Whoa, I guess there was one more step. Is a mature church. Okay, guys. So. <laughs> I love that he says, I've written to you because... I've written to you because of this. The reward for faithfulness is deeper revelation. 
the reward for faithfulness is more of God. The reward for following God is, is more of God. And then the last thing is in this passage, maturity equals loving obedience. How are you obeying? How are you obeying today? One way I'd like to challenge us as a church, during this transition time, we need to pray. I need you to pray for me. Chuck needs you to pray for him, Jim, John, all the advisory team guys. We all need your prayer for God's direction. The pastoral search team is going to need your prayer. Did you know that? But we need to pray together. And I think God has given me the spiritual gift of desperation. Okay? I don't offer, I, I'm not a professional. <laughs> I'm not polished. You know what I am? I'm desperate. And I care about what you guys think of me. But I am broken and wrecked about what he thinks of me. I'll never get over it. The only thing I really have to offer God and his kingdom is a life that's broken and a life of desperate worship, desperate prayer. He's all I've got. He's my only hope. So can we be more desperate as a church? I'd like the worship team to come up, and we're going to have a time of response. And, you know, Tina and Jim are going to be up here. If you need personal prayer, if you need to do business with God, or maybe you just are going through something and you need prayer, Jim will be over here, Tina will be over here, or somewhere you'll find them. They'll be the guys standing here. Just come and pray. But I would like us as a church, whoever is led to pray for your family, your church family, I, would, I want you to, to join me up here. I want to invite you. Guys, let's not be sophisticated. I know some of you are very sophisticated, and you have finely trimmed beards, and you, you, know, you just look great. You know what? Jesus, he, he always had eyes for the least, the last, and the lost. Zacchaeus in the tree. That's desperation, right? The, the woman who's been bleeding for years, just desperately touching his robe. That's what we, we want to have. So I want to invite you, as we talked about maturity and becoming a mature church, where there's brand new believers, there's, there's seasoned disciple makers, and there's people who are impassioned and strong in God's word who want to charge hell and break down the gates of hell. We want to be a church like that. So I want to invite you, if it's personal, come on up. If it's just for the church, come join me, all right? Let's pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, during this time, we just want to give it all to you, God. We want to pray. We want to save this church, Lord. We want to do amazing things. We want you to breathe new life, Lord, in us and through us into Reading. Lord, this, this, this community is lost. Our world is lost, Lord. We had just even another shooting this week at a school, Lord, and it's, it's a broken world that is desperate for a Savior. So, Lord, I pray that we as believers 
would be desperate for you. That we would pray that we'd cry out to you desperately, Lord, that we would seek after you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, do all you want to do in us as a church during this time. Amen.